Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. John chapter 4, let's go back to our foundation verses of what we see uh, by a statement of Jesus himself of the very fact that God is looking for something in this earth, looking for true worshipers. True worshipers. In this account again of the woman at Sychar, he was speaking to her about salvation. He was talking to her about living water. And in the process of that conversation, she talks about the very fact that they would worship God there on that mountain. And Jesus said, of course, the Jews would worship in Jerusalem. But the time has come when the true worshipers, praise God, will worship the Father. Amen. So let's get back into this again. Right here in verse 21 of John chapter 4, verse 21, Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Why? Because salvation is of the Jews. In other words, we understand because of the writings of the Old Testament scriptures, salvation is going to come by the way of the Jewish heritage or Jewish nation. He goes on to say here in verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, say true worshipers, when the true worshipers will do what? Worship the Father and they will do so in spirit and in truth. Notice for the Father is what? He is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must do what? Worship him in... So as we've talked about, let's define it for the very truth of what it is. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So that means those who do what? Adore, magnify, and love to the highest degree must do so what? In spirit and in truth. Now, I want to read verses 19 to 24 here of this same set of verses in relationship to what we're reading out of the voice translation. The voice translation is a translation. It's not a paraphrase. It's actually had uh, uh, scholars that worked very diligently for years to continue to bring out from the original text what the actual meaning was. In verse 19, the woman states to Jesus, Sir, it's obvious to me that you're a prophet because of what he'd revealed about her life. Our fathers worshipped here on this mountain, but your people say that Jerusalem is the only place for all to worship. Which is it? Say neither. neither. Why? It doesn't matter where you're at. Fact is, no matter where you are now, you can actually do what? Magnify. Come on. Adore. Love to the highest degree of the Heavenly Father. Don't have to be in any specific location. Beginning in verse 21, Jesus responds, Woman, I tell you that neither is so. Believe this. A new day is coming. In fact, it's already here. When the importance will not be placed on the time and place of worship, but on the truthful hearts of worshipers. You worship what you don't know, while we worship what we do know, for God's salvation is coming through the Jews. The Father is spirit, and he is seeking followers who worship, listen, whose worship is sourced in truth 
and deeply spiritual as well. I want you to hear that. The Father is spirit. He is seeking followers, followers whose worship is sourced in truth. Say sourced in truth. And deeply spiritual as well. God's a spirit. If you're going to worship him, you're going to worship him out of your spirit, man. Meaning that you're going to relate to, have a relationship with him out of your spirit, man. You're not going to have a relationship with God through your physical being. You're going to have a relationship with God through your spirit being. Regardless of whether you are in Jerusalem or on this mountain, if you do not seek the Father, then you do not worship. That's what I wanted to get to. If you do not seek the Father, then you do not worship. So the voice translation is telling us here at the end of verse 24 when he says God is a spirit and those who worship him must. Say must. So they must worship him what? In spirit and truth. And this is what, again, the voice translation bringing a little bit more clarity from the original Greek says, if you do not seek the Father, then you do not worship. Why? Because he is the focus of our worship. He's the focus. If we're not seeking the Father, we're not true worshipers. Amen. If all we're doing is seeking some type of a principle, you know there's principles clearly in the Bible and they work. You listening? But the heart of what we're doing is not to seek principles, but the Father who gives them. If we get to know the Father, we'll have no problem learning the principles. Some Christians, even in, t- in today's times, especially in charismatic churches, they get all focused on the principles of how the things are supposed to work, and they forget the one in whom was the, the one that created the principles. Let's take faith, for example. Why do so many Christians seem to struggle with faith? So there's basically three governing principles that actually affect what we do in relationship to faith. Now, there's some more little added ones to that, but there's three primary principles. Anybody help me out? What's the first one? Believe. God, believe. Where? In your, heart. in your heart. So if you don't believe in your heart, faith's not even working yet. It's not even functioning yet. A lot of people jump to the second or third principle, and they haven't got it in their heart yet. So you got to believe what God said in your heart. Number two, got to speak it with your mouth. Faith believes in faith. Speaks, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. So faith believes and faith speaks. But faith doesn't just believe and speak. James goes on and tells us faith also does what? It acts. So here's these three principles about faith. So let's say you take the time to spend all your waking hours studying the scripture to figure out these three principles, but you don't get to know the one who created the principles. It's hard to put trust in somebody you don't know. Because the truth is, what faith is, as Brother Summerall said in an answer to a young uh, preacher one time, uh, Dr. Summerall, what is faith? How far can you trust God? How far can you trust Him? And sometimes we put too much emphasis on the principles and not the one we're putting our faith in. And if we spent more time really getting to know our God who gave us these promises, we would have no problem picking up on the principles. Are you listening? The reason Wigglesworth was such a great man of faith is because he knew God. And he stated it all the time. I can't get to know God through somebody else's experience. I can't get to know God through my experiences. Why? Because experiences can go contrary to the word of God. There's people who have had experiences that could even be of a supernatural origin. That don't mean they came from God. Satan's a deceiver. Supernatural means beyond the natural. He's a spirit being. Demons are spirit beings. They can do things beyond the natural. And guess what? They can make you think that your experience was of God. 
But this is why Wigglesworth said, you can't come to know God through your experiences. Why? Your experiences could be contrary to the word. It could be the enemy trying to mislead you. He said, you can only come to know God. You ready? This is a Wigglesworth quote. By the word. He's everything the word says he is. He will do everything the word says he'll do. You listening? So reality is, you and I got to understand that if it's not the heart of being a focus upon, again, adoring, magnifying, and loving God to the highest degree. If we get so caught up with principles, how I many you know it's, it's important to understand the principles of how these things work? But again, the heart of it always comes back to what? The one who gave the principle. Because if you don't know the God who gave the promise, you can have the principles figured out and memorized in your head all day long. And many Christians do. But they still don't see faith working. Because ultimately, what does faith come down to? How far can you trust God? Well, how are you going to trust God? How you, Kathy, you got to get to know him. How do you get to trust anybody? Got to get to know him. Amen? I mean, I could stand up here easily, and I've done it many times, say, how many believe this is the word of God? <clears throat> I said, how many believe this is the word of God? How many believe everything God said is truth? How many think he lied? So nobody would, that knows God and believes, obviously, the basis of Christianity would say, well, that's not the truth. No, they say, yeah, that's the truth. Why do we not see a lot of us see it in relationship to the body as a whole? Why do we not see it working for us? Because we don't know the God who wrote it. We don't know the God who brought it into it. God didn't want you to fall in love with the Bible. He wants you to fall in love with the one who wrote it. You listening? We should have a love or a desire or passion for the Bible because it's God talking to us. See, if Bible reading becomes something that I just have to do, a duty, I got to get through a chapter a day or a verse a day. That's why I'm not totally for these necessarily, quote unquote, read through the Bible in a year program. Because the whole goal is actually not to get to know God. It's just to read through the Bible in a year. Most people at the end of the year, if they actually stick with it, you know what they'll say? Hey, I've read through the whole Bible. Okay, but how much better do you know God? Let me tell you, if I could get one person to spend a good amount of time just in the new covenant alone and really develop a relationship with God through that, they're far better off than reading through the whole Bible. Can I get a better amen? Now, the reason it's significant that we understand the word is because that is God himself speaking to us and he won't go contrary to it. But we don't worship the Bible. We love him and therefore we love his word because we love hearing from God. So here in John chapter 4 again, that's why Jesus is telling us at the end of verse 24, voice translation, very powerful if you hear that again, just significant you get a hold of that in relationship to what this is, uh, what a true worshiper is all about. If you don't seek the Father, then you don't worship. What is your daily life supposed to be about? Seeking the Father, getting to know the Father. And Jesus made it possible that you can do that. He opened the door for you. Aren't you glad? So go back to Revelation 2. So we talked about this morning and in our previous session on Wednesday in Philippians, clearly, uh, chapter 3, what Paul talked about relating to the fact that he desired one thing. He just wanted to know God. Anything at all that he had ever counted as valuable, significant, important as it relates to life doesn't compare to knowing God. 
And therefore, God is going to be the priority of my life. I simply want to know him. I want to develop in relationship to him. So that'll kind of pick back up on what we left off with this morning about what's going on here with the church at Ephesus. Let's read it one more time since we just barely got through it this morning. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 To the angel of the church at Ephesus. Who's the angel? The messenger. Who's the messenger? That's the pastor. Notice, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Who holds the seven stars in his right hand? Jesus does. What are the seven stars? They're the churches. He who walks in the midst of these seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. Say, that's good. I know your works, what you've been doing. I know your labor for God, that you've been patient, you've been persistent, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've even tested those who say they're apostles and they're not, and you found them out to be liars. You've even exposed some of these false apostles that really aren't my apostles. Verse 3, and you've persevered and have patience, and you've also labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. All good stuff. Verse 4. Nevertheless, I now have this against you. That you have what? Left your first love. You've left your first love. Who's supposed to be your first love? So if God's our first love, in essence, what are we doing? We're living a life of a true worshiper. Because my life every day is about pursuit of getting to know God better. They left that. They left that. Their daily life was no longer about getting to know God better. And even though they were going through some of the motions of Christianity, guess what? As far as the context of their passion and love and adoration, God was not first on the list any longer. So you left your first love. Five, remember, therefore, what are they supposed to do? Remember from where you have fallen, repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place Unless you repent. So as we began to talk about this morning, what do we do if we are in this position? Or what do we do to not get into that position? We need, if we're in this position where Jesus is no longer our first love, we need to remember from where we've fallen and we need to go back and do the first works. Repent means turn around and go back to doing what you were doing when you first came to Jesus. How excited were you? You know? I love picking up my Bible every day. I enjoyed getting to learn new stuff. And as you're going to see tonight, the thing that causes a lot of Christians over the years a problem in their life in this is called the sin of familiarity. And this is what leads people in a position oftentimes to where now all of a sudden, guess what they're no longer? They're no longer true worshipers. They're not, they're not adoring God, magnifying God, and loving Him to the highest degree. They've actually drifted back to now actually doing other things in their life more important than God, even though they're still involved with some works within the church. But he said, you got to remember this. Remember from where you've fallen, where you were when you first obviously got born again, were hot for God, excited about God. Repent, turn around and go back and do those same things. Go back and do those first works. Notice, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So can anybody by a raising of hand remind me that you would know personally of remembering of the day that she got born again. How many of you got to know the, the exact date? How many remember what it was like? Seriously. So that's three of you. Russ, you need to be born again? Did you all forget? How many remember what it was like when you got born again? The day you got born again. Do you remember what that was like? Did you notice anything different? 
Did you notice anything unique about how all of a sudden you all of a sudden felt? Yes. <coughs> Did stuff look different to you? Yes. So somebody tell me, after you got born again, after you, after you know that Jesus came to live inside of you, what were some of the things, you can tell me individually, not a whole bunch of them, just one at a time, what were some of the things all of a sudden that you now wanted to do that you had not been doing before in relationship to God? What were some of those things? Read the Bible. So you actually wanted to. You got excited about it. What else? Huh? Tell people about Jesus. I guarantee you that's a part of the first works because a lot of people have drifted away from talking about Jesus. And I'll tell you why. Because they're not true worshipers. They don't adore him like they used to. They were so excited for what they received they wanted to let everybody else know about it. What else? Spend time with God. Right? Prayer. Word of God. Amen. Fellowship with God. What else? Go to church. Find a pastor. Yeah. I'm, I was so hungry to learn everything I could learn that every time I got a new nugget of truth from somebody, I got so excited. How about you? I got so excited, man. And once I'd get a new nugget of truth, I'm like, man, I got to go hear some more of this teaching. I got to get some more teaching on this. I got to get some more teaching on that. Where did that go? How many remember the day being so in love with Jesus, wanting to learn scripture, wanting to learn who you were, what you had? You took a three by five card. Multiple. Wrote verses on them. Stuck them up around your house. I did. So that every time you're standing in the morning getting ready, you look at that verse, you start quoting that verse and get excited. That's who I am. Where did that go? Remember... Repent and go back and do what you did at the first. The first works is what you did when you first got born again. Go back. Start doing those things again. Well, then I would just be doing a work for God. No. You know what you're going to be doing? You're going to be fanning the flame of the presence of God within you to re-spark and rekindle that fire. Going back and doing How many ever built a fire before? One, two. You have? Really? You're a fire starter. <laughs> Three. Who else? I know Josh and Randy. Kim. Really? Yeah. I, you know, I guarantee you I'm not going to doubt at all that a Candace would do so. She was, a, she was an army gal, man. I'm sure they had to learn that just for survival. So if you've ever started a fire, guess what you got to do? Take some work. Right? Got to gather the wood. You got to get the kindling. Got to get something to start that kindling on fire. Get it going nice and hot, especially on a, I know they're not here yet, but they're coming on a cold winter night where you can sit out there and enjoy the fire. But what happens over time? The fuel on that fire starts burning out and that fire starts going down. What do you got to do? You ready? You ready for this? You got to go back and do the first works. What'd you do at the start? You went and gathered wood. You got it over there. You put it there. You got it ready to burn. Well, you got to go gather more wood. Go gather more wood. Got to go do the first works. Can I get a better amen? Go back and do the first works or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you do what? Repent. Unless you turn around from obviously where you've now gone, walking, walking as, a, as a believer in this planet who no longer has me as your first adoration, come back to that. Verse 6, notice this. But this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Good thing. 
At least you still hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. Now think about the deeds of the Nicolaitans. If somebody hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans and you knew about what those are and that they want nothing to do with them, you'd think this is a pretty sold out, you know, on fire, hot for God Christian. But even though they hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, what did Jesus still say about them? He said, you've left your first love. What are the deeds of the Nicolaitans? Gnosticism. Gnosticism is coming back around and it's always been around ever since the beginning of the, of the start of the church. That's just a really kind of fancy word to say those who desire knowledge through personal experience. So this isn't knowledge based on the Bible. This is knowledge based on personal experience. We don't go by personal experience because that can go contrary to the Bible. Nicholas was the one that he's taught the deeds of the Nicolaitans. If you go back in the book of Acts, one of the very first seven deacons that were established in the New Testament church, one was named Nicholas. And this is the guy. All of a sudden, Nicholas, guess what Nicholas did? He obviously didn't have Jesus as his first love. And so he started drifting away, not only from Jesus as his first love, but it led him to start actually doing things that were contrary to the word. Contrary, they didn't have the New Testament written yet, it's being written. Contrary to what even the, uh, we know the, you know the initial apostles told them was right and wrong. So as an example, under the New Testament, were they allowed to have multiple wives? No. But Nicholas said it was okay. No big deal, because obviously they had them in the Old Testament. We can have them in the New. Guess what else Nicholas said was okay? Basically, he went to a whole uh, perspective of really what we would call today just a sloppy agape you know, type of relationship with God. He also said that it was not wrong to actually be involved in any form of sexual activity. Not a sin, not an issue. Fornication, no big deal. Adultery, no big deal. You study this out for yourself. This is borne out through history of what he taught his followers. Kind of funny to know that Nicholas would actually give people their own name. Why? Because Jesus did this with many of his disciples. So he's trying to be like Jesus in that sense to actually rename people. For, for you to become a follower of Nicholas, you had to get from him, you ready? Your nickname, that's where that comes from. That's where the phrase nickname started. Do you have your nickname? If you're a follower of Nicholas, Nicholas would give you the name he wanted to give you so that you were considered a follower of his. Now, the other thing that Nicholas did, very bad according to God, How many, read it again. What does God think of the deeds? Not Nicholas. What does he think of the deeds of the Nicolaitans? What does he think of them? Read it. What does he do? He hates. Wow. God hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Well, these people still obviously had nothing to do with the deeds of the Nicolaitans, and yet they had still left their first love. The other thing Nicholas did, they would mix pagan rites with holy biblical uh, ceremonies. Example. So, you know, a lot of people think it's no big deal today. But how many you know a wedding is one of the holiest ceremonies in the eyes of God there is? Because you're joining two people together as one. This is a holy, holy matrimony. Holy matrimony. So you know what they started doing? Listen, I know people are going to bring up the Jesus and the wine thing at the wedding, but it wasn't, it wasn't fermented like we think. It wasn't the same type of wine. But you know what they started doing? They started bringing fermented wine to the, to the actual weddings, and people would just get totally, uh, you know, completely drunk during the wedding. That's mixing pagan rites with godly ceremonies. That's the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which God hates. 
Whenever I've been asked to do a wedding, which I do very few today in relationship to this type of situation, but whenever I've been asked to do a wedding, one of the first things I always ask is, number one, are you born again? Number two, do you, are you willing to go through counseling? Because unless you do, I'm not going to do your wedding. I, I want to prepare you. I have a responsibility to prepare you. And then number three, what's the reception going to be like? Because if there's going to be alcohol there, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm ditching the reception if I choose to do the wedding. I will not be a partaker of the deeds of the Nicolaitans. If you want to have alcohol, that's your, that's your deal. People think, well, there you go. You're too clothesline. No, this was the deeds of the Nicolaitans. This is what the Nicolaitans did. Go study it. You'll find out for yourself. And God said it was what? L- listen, a pagan, if you don't know, in the eyes of, of what the people of were of the t- New Testament, mixing pagan, right? What's a pagan? A pagan is somebody who actually, believe it or not, is not necessarily an unbeliever, but they're choosing to live a loose lifestyle that's actually not in line with the Word of God. That's a pagan. A lot of times we just think of pagans as sinners. But if you study the actual term out, <clears throat> it also refers, excuse me, to people who could be born again. But they're choosing to live out things that are clearly contrary to what God says is proper and holy and right. So pagans aren't just people that are just sinners, included, included. But many, I mean, again, Nicholas was born again. And they're mixing pagan rites with godly ceremonies. Why? They were living pagan. They were living contrary to God. So even though... They hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Guess what they still didn't do? They still didn't have Jesus as their first love. Seven, he who has an ear to hear. Anybody got an ear to hear tonight? He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what? What the Spirit says to the churches. See, a lot of people would do themselves a great benefit to say, I'm not here to hear my pastor tonight. Do you know what pastor said? Well, if honestly I just preached the word, all you should say is, what did the word say to me tonight? Not what did my pastor say. Now, if you got pastors not preaching the word, there's many today like that. But if you got pastors not preaching the word, then you would have to say, well, what did that pastor say? But if they're preaching the word, he didn't say, whoever has an ear to hear, let him hear what the pastor says to the churches. Which, by the way, this letter given from Jesus to, quote unquote, the messenger of the church at Ephesus. What's the pastor of the church going to do? He's going to get up and read that letter. Are they heeding the pastor? No, they're heeding the Spirit of God. They're heeding what the Holy Spirit said, obviously, to Jesus in relationship through this messenger. So again, verse 7, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes. Come on. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Say praise the Lord. I said, God, if you don't know this, guess what, it, guess what it represents? Guess what it actually is physically? Eden. Eden was here. But it was removed after all those who were taken up out of, out of the context of paradise that was in the center of the earth. All who had died under the Old Testament, once they went to heaven, paradise was removed from the center of the earth and taken up to heaven. So understand this. You and I want to make sure that we have God as our first love to be true worshipers. Any amens on that? So let's look at some significant relating to this as Adam Clark, which is if you, if you want to know, people ask me oftentimes, what's a, what's a good study tool, Pastor, to use when I'm studying the Bible? I don't recommend a lot of commentaries, but I, I've received this recommendation of this commentary from my pastor, who is a scholar, who actually has a degree 
in the study of scriptures, as well as many other great ministers like people we've had in our life, like, uh, uh, you know, George Evans, etc. Adam Clark commentary is one of the most accurate commentaries of the Bible. If you want to look at a good commentary, you got to be careful because a lot of commentaries kind of get off into their own philosophy, etc. So this is Adam Clark's commentary of verse 5 that we just read. If you go back here again, in Revelation 2, verse 5, what did he say in verse 5? Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works. Here's Adam Clark's commentary on the basis of the Greek language of that verse. The context means, remember, which states, consider the state of grace in which you once stood. So that's the same thing as saying, think back to when you first got saved. How grateful were you? I said, how grateful were you? Consider the state of grace in which you once stood. The happiness. Consider that. Were you happy? Why are so many Christians not happy today? The happiness, the love, and the joy that you felt when you received the remission of your sins. The zeal you had for God's glory and the salvation of mankind. Your willing, obedient spirit. Your cheerful self-denial. Your your fervor in private prayer, your detachment from the world, and your heavenly mindedness. That's all in the context of remember from where you've fallen. So where did you start before anybody, if Jesus is not their first love, where did they start? They were in a state of grace in which they stood in happiness. They were happy about their salvation in love and in joy, which they felt after receiving remission of sins. How many were glad, glad and excited about knowing all your sins have been forgiven? Are you still as excited about it today? The zeal, the zeal that you had for God's glory and the salvation of mankind, not only what it's done to you, but the fact, like Donna said, you want to go tell other people. Your willing, obedient spirit, willing, obedient spirit, your cheerful self-denial. Yeah, come on. <laughs> he smiles tonight. Amen. He smiles tonight and he smiles. Your cheerful self-denial. To deny the old self was not something that you were all upset and mad about. You were excited because you got this new life. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Your cheerful self-denial. Your fervor in private prayer. Your detachment from the world, knowing I'm no longer part of the world, thank you, Jesus. And your heavenly mindedness. All of a sudden, your mind shifted to a new place. Your mind shifted to a new focus. Amen? Remember also means to consider all of these in relationship to, notice this, from where you have fallen. Fallen from all those blessed dispositions he just described and gracious feelings already mentioned. Or, notice this, remember what a loss you have sustained. Remember what a loss you have sustained. What you've lost in the process of God no longer being your first love that obviously you no longer sustain. Repent, deeply humbled before God for having so carelessly guarded the divine treasure. If you've lost Jesus as your first love, repent. Be deeply humbled before God for having so carelessly guarded the divine treasure. If you have not guarded this divine treasure of love for God, that's carelessness, man. Do the first works. 
Resume your former zeal and diligence. Watch. You ready for this? You're going to get excited about this, I know. You ready? Watch, fast, pray, reprove sin. Carefully attend all ordinances of God. Walk as in his sight. In other words, as if he was there with you present, because he is. Walk as if in his sight, and rest not till you've recovered all your lost ground and got back the evidence of your acceptance with your maker. You haven't lost acceptance with God because you don't lose right standing. But you're no longer in a position truly where you need to be by not having him as your first love. He states that he would come quickly if you did not do so and remove the lampstand. I will come quickly. I will come unto you quickly in a way of judgment. It's a reference to a way of judgment. And I will remove your candlestick or lampstand. I will take away my ordinances, remove your ministers, send you a famine of the word. Why? Because you, you obviously don't love him enough to receive it. Why would he keep pumping the word at you? Amen? As there is here an allusion to the candlestick in the tabernacle of the original temple, which could not be removed without suspending the whole Levitical service. So the threatening here intimates that if, you, if they did not repent, he would unchurch them. They should no longer have a pastor, and they would no longer have the word and the sacraments that go along with it. He said, all that would happen if you don't repent, if you've left your first love. Now, I'll tell you what, any church that has enough people in it that Jesus is still their first love, everybody in that church ought to be grateful. Go, go, to, Matthew, go to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. So the significance and the simplicity of what you and I have to address is what our pastor has done a powerful job of teaching for years called the sin of familiarity. What is it that causes a believer? You were so excited initially, and I mean, you probably hung on to that for a good while. I mean, for a number of years, man, I just couldn't get enough of the Word. Amen. Just could not get enough. I wanted more and more and more. You know, the problem with a lot of Christians today, you know, the, the, the number one thing that I get complaints about, not from anybody here now, you know the number one thing I get complaints about from church members? It's not the temperature of the room. I've actually never had anybody other than Kathy come complain to me about the temperature of the room. Now, the only reason she complains is because she just can't understand how in 100 plus degrees in Texas and all these bodies in here, we can't keep it down to 71 degrees. Well, the, the building's a little old. We've insulated everything we can. We've replaced the unit. We've done everything we could, but without adding a second unit, that's just not possible. Not in a hundred plus degree, not faulting her, I'm just saying. I don't get complaints from people coming up and saying, Pastor, it's too hot this last Sunday. Pastor, it's too cold. I don't get those complaints. The number one complaint I got from people over 33 years of pastoring, your service is too long. When I first got born again, I'll tell you what I never complained with my pastor. Matter of fact, most of the time I was upset that he didn't go longer and teach me more. Amen? Amen? That don't mean we should have hours and hours and hours of services because the truth is you're only going to retain so much. But my point is, I was so hungry for God. You, any, any, listen, man, 
I, I was excited in the time frame of my salvation driving a rock truck because guess what I got to do in a rock truck every day? I got to create my own environment. Had a cassette player, remember those? I mean, I go back to 8-track tape, baby. 8-track and the little piece of cardboard next to the 8-track to keep that thing from sounding, you know, try to get it sound right. Remember those? So I'm telling you what was great is I was able to fill my 12 to 16 hours a day with the teaching of the Word. How many of you have listened to 12 to 16 hours in a day of teaching of the Word? I have. And I loved it. I love the fact that I could just keep popping in another cassette, another cassette. I get through one series, I go back to it again. I spent most of my extra money on buying cassette series from Kenneth Hagin and others like him to be able to continue to learn the Word of God. My truck was stacked full in the, in the seat next to me with, with a series of cassettes to be able to hear the Word of God preached. Oh my goodness, it's no wonder my faith level was the way it was. Faith comes by, hearing by the... Now listen, none of that was forced on me. I didn't have somebody sit in the seat next to me and say, bless God, I don't care. I'm putting another tape in. You're listening to it whether you like it or not. No, man. I kept pumping them in there. I couldn't wait to hear them again. Now even when your flesh gets to the point where it doesn't want to hear them, let me help you. You can deal with your flesh by just simply doing the simple works of what it takes to keep your heart on fire for God and you'll overtake your flesh. Can I prove it to you? So after I actually got done driving a rock truck for years, I went to work for a friend of mine. Known him for years. I'd gone to church with him. He actually had a delivery service of delivering copiers for Pitney Bowes around the Dallas-Fort Worth area. When I first started with him, we were in one truck. We did all of Dallas. Then they wanted to do all of Fort Worth. He got a second truck. I took over that truck, but you had to have a helper. He hired a guy to work with him. He hired a guy to work with me. The guy that worked with me didn't claim to be a believer by any stretch of the imagination. And he was actually a guy from Hereford, Texas. You ever been to Hereford? You know it before you ever get there. Especially in the summertime. Cattle lots everywhere. Feed, feed lots everywhere. Man, you smell it miles out of town. <laughs> you already know you're coming up on Hereford, Texas. So we were sitting in the truck, driving in the truck. Now, I didn't have a cassette player to play cassettes. So all I had now was an AM, FM radio. What am I going to listen to? Christian stations. So I'm listening to Christian stations, one of which at the time, and remember Kojo? Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, you don't. Kathy does. This for KLTY. Oh. Kojo was the main Christian radio station in Dallas-Fort Worth. So I'd listen to that all the time, listen to the worship music and stuff. They, it's weird stuff today, from what I understand. I don't know. I don't listen. But, but, man, it was good stuff. And so we're driving the truck after several weeks. He said, when do we change that dial to the country channel? I said, excuse me? Well, equal time, man. When do we get to change that dial to the country channel? Nothing against country and music, country western music, but you know, most of it is about running your mama over with a train. I don't want to hear about your mama getting run over with a train. I want to hear about Jesus. Well, I think we should have equal time. Go talk to the boss. I'm the driver of the truck. I get to decide what we listen to. Come on, man. So he, he went and talked to Eddie at the end of that day. And Eddie said, he's the driver of the truck. He gets to decide what you listen to. He said, man, I'm getting tired of hearing this stuff. Did he want to listen to it? Did he want to listen to it? No, he's trying to get me to change the channel. Even the next couple of days, come on, man, just for an hour. Come on, just switch over to country music. Nope, I'm leaving it right here. Turn it up even louder, man, as we went down the road. 
And the next day, Amy Grant, I can't remember the song now. Amy Grant had a famous song out at the time, and it would be played all the time throughout the day. And all of a sudden, that song came on. It was a pretty upbeat song, you know. And I'm driving along, and I hear this foot tapping to the music. Wasn't mine. <laughs> I'm driving the truck. And I start hearing this song being sung by somebody in the cab of the truck. And I look over, and I mean, he's singing the song, tapping his foot. And he looks at me, and he goes, oh, see what you did? Now you got me singing this song. <laughs> Go back and do the first words, even when your flesh doesn't want to do it. And you'll start stirring up within you that heart, that fervor, that zeal for God in your spirit, man. And you'll worship God in your spirit. Your fellowship with God in your spirit. Amen? Yeah. Matthew 13. But we got to guard against this sin of familiarity. So Jesus here comes back in verse 53 to his hometown where he grew up as a little boy in Nazareth. He now comes back as the prophet of God, as the Messiah we know, of course, and he's there to do some work for God. Verse 53, it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed from there. 54, when he had come to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue. So that they were what? What were they? You ought to underline that. He begins teaching in his synagogue. They're astonished. They're like, wow. In other words, this is one amazing message right here. They're astonished. Notice this. They were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Where did he get this, man? So initially, verse 54, guess what? They are totally taken back by the powerful preaching of this minister, this, this prophet, this, this which they didn't think he was the Messiah. We know as the Messiah. They just were like, wow, we just understand. How, where did this guy get all this? Right. 55. Now notice what they started doing. Is this not the carpenter's son? I want you to listen carefully. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Mary? We know his mom. We saw this boy raised here. They probably saw him, you know, playing with other kids when he was a little boy, scraping his knee like everybody else, whatever. So isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simeon, and Judas? We know all of them. 56, and his sisters, are they not all with us? What are they doing? They're taking God and bringing him down to their level to try to bring him equal to them. God brings us up to him. We don't bring him down to us. But that's exactly what they're doing. Notice again, 56, are his sisters, are they not all with us? Notice, where then did this man get all these things? Where did he, where did he get all this stuff? Where did, he, where did he actually come up with all this stuff? 57, so they were now what? <laughs> Underline that. They went from astonished to offended in a handful of verses. So they were offended at him, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Why? Because he's known there in the natural. He's known there in the natural. In his own country, he's known there in the natural. And guess what? Even those that were true prophets of God of the day, holy men of God, they too obviously were just like everybody else in relationship to being human. Jesus, of course, was not because he came in the flesh, but he still came as the, as the Son of God. 58. Now, notice this. He did not do many mighty works there because of what? Unbelief. Unbelief. 
Now, if he would have done mighty works there, what would we call that? The glory of God, the manifested power of God, the anointing of God. Right? Why is this not working in a lot of believers' lives? Because they've left Jesus as their first love and they've gotten to a position now where they've just made him a common, everyday thing in their life and not the deity that he should be. Amen. Not the importance of what he should be. If you're going to try to belittle God to a level that it's just Jesus, how do you do that, man? How do you do that, Pastor? I couldn't do that. You know how many people have told Dr. Barclay all the years that he's ever talked about going to God's house and church? It's just church. It's just the Bible. Come on, man. It's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal that we go to church or read our Bible or pray. It's just, it's just this religious act called prayer. No, it's not. It's called communication with God. But they don't see it as that. So again, they're not doing what? They're not truly true worshipers adoring God. They are not here because they would have known this is the Messiah. There's no way he could have gotten these things obviously on his own had he not had a connection with God. So what is this? The sin of familiarity. They began to talk about how familiar they were with him from the perspective of him growing up. And in doing so, they began to belittle God down to their level to the degree that he truly was not somebody significant in their sight at all. How do we do that in church? Well, you become familiar with your pastor, not like I'm God because I'm not, nor would I ever want to try to be, but I represent him and what God wants to actually impart into your life. And now all of a sudden it's just the sermon that pastor preached. It's not God speaking to me anymore. Amen? Amen. Anybody can fall into this. Just going through the motions of go to church, go home, go to church, go home, read my Bible, go back to work, do this. Work. Instead of, hey, I get to fellowship with God. Hey, I get to hear from God today. So you got to fight off this sin of familiarity by doing what? By doing the first works. The things that made you excited about Jesus in the beginning, you need to go back and continue to do those things. Amen? Now, since we're in Matthew, turn over to chapter 15, if you would. Couple chapters over. We're to worship him in spirit and what? Truth. Truth. Chapter 15 of Matthew, verse 1. Then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the, trend, the tradition of the elders? Who was saying this? The Pharisees. The religious of the day. The scribes and Pharisees. Religious leaders of the day. Who were strict about the law. And they actually came to Jesus and said, verse 2, Why do your disciples transgress the what? Of who? So not what God said here. The tradition of what the elders have now come up with. For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now I guarantee you, Kathy likes that verse. She's not unhappy about that verse. But these guys didn't have a chance to wash their hands everywhere they went. And the Jews had made up a law saying if you didn't wash your hands, you defiled yourself when you ate food. God didn't say that. They said that. They made that up. So now they're all over Jesus because they see his disciples plucking heads of grain without washing their hands as they're going through this uh, wheat field and eating these heads of grain. And they notice they're not washing their hands. Well, wait a minute. We have a tradition established by our elders. Oh. And our elders say, you don't eat food without washing your hands first. Because if you don't wash your hands, that food's defiled and it will defile you. Meaning, it will cause you to sin against God. Verse 3, he answered and he said to them, why do you all, I love Jesus, don't you love Jesus? 
Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? See, what causes us to transgress what the Word teaches us in relationship to who we are, what we have, what we can do? Why do we not believe that? Why do we not act upon that? Why do we not actually act in relationship in context of the truth, believe all that God says about us? Because we have so many little traditions built up in our life that we don't realize that they literally cause the Word of God to be of no effect in our life. Things that have happened to us. Things that have taken place. Well, if God really loved me, why did this happen? Because this happened doesn't mean God doesn't love you. If it was bad, God didn't create it to begin with. The devil did. Well, everything. How many of you heard this one? Everything happens for a reason. And you know what they mean by that? They mean because God's sovereign and in control. So if it happened for, you know, whatever happened, it just happened for God had a reason for it. No, he didn't. No, not everything comes from God. Whatever a man sows, he shall reap. I'm so tired of hearing people everywhere I go. Well, you know, everything happens for a reason. If I've got even three to four to five minutes on my time, on my, I say, wait a minute, let me talk to you for a minute. What do you mean by that? I know what you mean. You're saying whatever happens just happens. You just got to put up with it. No, you don't. Where in the world does the Bible say in the truth of God's word, whatever happens to see a bad, wrong, or indifferent that comes down to stealing, killing, and destroying, you got to put up with it. You're not supposed to put up with that. I said, you're not supposed to put up with that. You're not supposed to put up with the tax in your body. You're supposed to tell the devil who's the source of all that stuff, what to do with that. You listening? Pack your bags, dude. You don't belong in this body. Why? Because I've lived perfect? No, because Jesus shed his blood for my body to be well. That's the truth of God's word. Are you listening? We got to do what? Adore, magnify, and love God to the highest degree by our spirit being what? Being in fellowship with him through our spirit man based on the fact that our heart is set on him. But we also got to do so in what? Truth. So notice this. For God commanded saying, honor your father and mother. Again, Jesus responds to him and says, but you transgress the commandment of God by your what? Your tradition. You're violating what literally a command of God is by simply living according to your tradition. Four, for God commanded saying, how many know this commandment in the Ten Commandments? Honor your father and mother. He who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. Verse five, but you say, but you say, whoever says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God then he need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. <clears throat> so <clears throat> they had a tradition called Korban. If, if, if I profited some way with money, I'm supposed to honor my father and mother. I'm supposed to do everything I can to help care for them in their latter years. But they actually said, all that I receive as a form of profit into my life, I don't have to honor my father and mother with it. I'm going to give it to God. It's a gift now to give to God. Did they actually give it to God? No. They kept it for themselves. But it was a way they could claim that money is not going to actually be used in any way to honor my father and mother. And I don't have to because they created their own tradition. 
wasn't God's writings. It was theirs. We claim the context of that, that money is Corban. I claim that as a gift that now belongs to God. I will give it to him. I don't have to honor my father and mother. I'm going to tell you right now, folks, people do this all the time in relationship to stuff in the context of the truth of God's word of who they are, what they have, and what they can do because they're living by some form of a fake tradition of which God never gave. Some false belief or false system of teaching. Seven hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, verse 8, these people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips. Their talk is good, but their heart is what? Far from me. Look at verse 9. And in vain, what do they do? They worship me. How? Teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. So are they true worshipers? No, they're not. Because they're not going actually by what God said. They're going by what they claim. So think about how many people today say church is not important. You claim that. Forgiveness is not important. You claim that. I know people that say, well, I don't have to forgive. I'm already forgiven. That's very clear in the Bible. Jesus shed his blood. I'm forgiven of all sin. What are you going to do with Jesus' words? If you don't forgive, neither will the Father forgive you. See, there's a lot of things that we get caught up with in relationship. How about things that people are bound by? Well, I guess God just doesn't want to free me from this. I guess God really wanted me to have this anxiety. I guess God really wanted me to have this sickness and disease. I guess this, was, this must be his will for me, must be my life. He's trying to teach me something. You ever heard that one? Well, he must be trying to teach me something. What's he trying to teach you? You ought to learn pretty quick. No. See, these are all aspects of what we're doing without realizing it. Not on purpose, not on purpose, but not doing what? Not adoring, magnifying, and loving God to the highest degree based on what? The truth. The truth. So the thing about worshiping God in spirit and truth is, number one, to worship Him in spirit. What's that mean? I worship Him. I don't worship my church. I don't worship the ground. I don't worship my car. I don't worship my family. I worship God. Meaning what? I adore. I magnify. I love to the highest degree God. He comes first. How do I worship in truth? Are you ready? I worship him in truth by believing everything God says I am. Everything God says I have. Everything God says I can do. How do you adore, magnify, and love God to the highest degree? Believe your Bible. Believe the Bible. Believe what Scripture says. Yeah, but. No, 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 no. All that's going to do is lead you away from walking in the benefit of loving and adoring and honoring and magnifying God based on who he says you are, which is exactly what Satan wants. And that's going to cause you to do what? Worship a false belief. And if you're worshiping a false belief, guess what you're not going to do? Walk in liberty. I'm going to say it again. God wants you to worship him in truth. He wants you to adore, magnify, and love him to the highest degree based on what? This right here. So how do I worship God in truth? I believe, say it, everything God says about me, who I am, what I have, what I can do. Yeah, but I don't feel like it. doesn't matter. See, you're going to miss out on loving God through the truth and seeing him change your life and walking in liberty. Remember what I told you? Two reasons why God wants you to actually become a true worshiper. One, what does he want? Fellowship. He wants you to know him. Two, he wants you to do what? Be like him. And if you walk like God, you walk in liberty, not bondage. If you walk like God, you don't walk bound by anything in this world. God doesn't walk bound by anything in this world. You don't walk bound by anything in this world if you're a true worshiper. 
Because if you're a true worshiper, you adore, you truly magnify, and you love him to the highest degree because of what he said about you. You believe it? See, you want to show God that you really love him in truth? Really simple. Okay, God, your word says I'm more than a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror. <clears throat> your word says that I am healed. Then I'm healed. Your word says that I am far above, not beneath, all the works of darkness. I am seated at the right hand of the Father. Well, I don't feel like it. It don't matter how you feel. You have to learn to do what? Adore. Come on. Magnify and love to the highest degree this God of yours through what? The truth. Because if you don't, you're going to guess what? Guess what? You're going to miss out on being like him. Worshiping him in spirit, relationship. Worshiping him in truth, living like him. You understand that? Why, do God, why is God searching for true worshipers? Tell me again. He wants you to what? Know him and he wants you to do what? Live like him. So a true worshiper, worshiping in spirit means what? If I'm worshiping him as truly the love of my life, he's my first love, he's who I adore, not anything but in relationship to life, him, I just worship, love, adore, magnify my God, what are you going to do? You're going to get to know him. If I will adore, magnify, and worship my God through the truth, in other words, I take him, can I say it a simpler way? I take him at his word. If God said it, I don't need to know anything else. Yeah, but my Bible says, oh, excuse me, yeah, but my, my buddy says, yeah, but my body says, yeah, but my circumstances say, yeah, but my spouse says, yeah, but it don't matter. It don't matter. You're not going to get the benefit of walking like God if you don't worship him in truth. And what you do is you adore, you magnify, and love to the highest degree this word because this word is also God. And whatever that word says, that's what I believe, that's what I go by, that's what I actually speak out of my mouth, that's how I live, that's how I act, because that's who God says I am. John chapter 8 in closing. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. So how do I worship God in truth, pastor? You believe the whole of scripture about you. You believe everything the Bible says about you. Whatever the Bible says about you, believe it. Whatever the Bible says about you, say it. Whatever the Bible says about you, act on it. Because the more you do, guess what? You start getting in a position now, once again, being close to God, of walking closer and closer to the, the very anointed one himself. And what does the anointing do? Removes burdens and destroys yokes. Can I get a better amen? John chapter 8, 31. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if, condition, you abide in my word. If you do what? Abide in my word. What are you? You're my disciples indeed. What does abide in the word here mean? You adhere to, you ready? And become one with the word. You can't do that, as Kathy said, live in. Well, you can't do what I just described without living in it. But the word abide here means that you... You, you listen to and become one with the word. Abide means to be one. one. If you become one with my word, what are you? You're my disciples indeed. Amen. Nobody's going to have to determine whether you're a disciple of Jesus or not. It's going to be pretty evident because guess what? You're going to live like a disciple. You're going to live like Jesus. 
And if you become one with the word, what will happen? Verse 32, you'll know the truth. How will you come to know the truth? Become one with the word. Are you listening? To know here is not head knowledge. To know here isn't just knowing it up in my knower. To know here means to experience by application. To experience by application. I don't know the truth unless I experience it by application. If I abide in the word, I become one with the word. Guess what I'm going to start doing? I'm going to start experiencing it through application. And in doing so, what am I going to know? Tell me the last part of the verse. And the truth will do what? What will it do? What will it do? It'll set you free from everything that's not of God. Because the whole purpose of being a true worshiper is to know God and to do what? Look like him. Live a life like he himself, him, as Jesus did, wants you to live and he himself lived. So how do I do this again? To become a true worshiper, I got to worship him in spirit. What's that mean? He comes first. I don't worship going to church. I like going to church. I love going to church because God's in church. God helps me in church. But it's not about my service in church, my duty in prayer, my duty in the word. Nope. God's the reason that I wake up every day. God's who I'm chasing every day. I want to know him better. What if I've drifted away from him being my first love? Go back and do the things that will refire your heart to be able to continue to do what? Stir up that love in your heart for him by getting to hear from him. You go back and start listening. I'm going to tell you what, man. I love going back and listening to old teachings I haven't heard in a while. And boy, do I start getting excited again about hearing those things over again. Amen? So to worship him in spirit means I have my heart set on one thing. I want to know him just like Paul. Nothing else stands between me and that. Number two, to worship him in truth means what? I believe everything the Bible says about me, who I am, what I have, what I can do. I don't question it. I don't doubt it. I don't take in any aspect of what I do. I don't take a different view because anything apart from what the word says is nothing more than what? The traditions of man. And what do the traditions of man do? They make that word of no effect. If I'll just become one with the word, how does that start? How does that start to become one with the word? How do we start by becoming one with the word? I'll show you Wednesday night. Because if you become one with that word, what will you know? The truth. What will the truth do? Free you. If you and I become one with the word, we're going to worship God in truth. Not just in spirit. And in doing so, guess who's going to show up in our life? The Father. Because that's who he's looking for. See, it's not hard to figure out why would the Father only be able to show up for a true worshiper when it comes to worshiping in spirit? Because you believe the Bible. How can God show up if you don't believe it? He can't. It takes faith for God to be able to do work in your life, to show up in your life, do what he can do. Amen? You got to believe in him. I said you got to believe in him. Praise the Lord. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. 
you will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.